Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. Today, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has sued Jim Jordan to block his subpoenas of line prosecutors. The Department of Justice files an opposition to Proud Boys trying to wiggle out of their 1512C2 charges based on the appellate court dissent. The judge in the E. Jean Carroll case wants to know if Trump will appear in person. Chicago will host the 2024 Democratic National Convention. The Gang of Eight has been briefed on the classified documents retrieved from Trump, Biden and Pence. And Stephen Miller testified before the Jack Smith grand jury for over six hours. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. It's AG. I'm here by myself today. Thank you for hanging in while Dana is out of town. She will be back soon. Uh, and I'm just going to keep bringing you the news. That's what I do every day. By the way, later today will be the vote on reinstating Justin Pearson to the Tennessee House. And uh, I'll report on that vote on tomorrow's beans. Or you can follow me on Twitter for the update as it happens. And that's at Mueller, she wrote. Also, speaking of speaking of Mueller and speaking of special counsel investigations, Stephen Miller, bat boy, right? He testified before Jack Smith's grand jury for over six hours today. I'm going to cover that and what he may have told the grand jury 
with Andy McCabe on this weekend's episode of The Jack Podcast. So tune into that. There is a new episode out now, too, if you haven't heard it yet. And also it's Wednesday, which means there's a new episode of Clean Up on L45 out with me and Pete Strzok. We go over that 1512C2 decision by the appellate court. You're going to want to hear it. So uh, listen to that. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about it here in this episode, too, because now we've got some follow-up reporting. And of course, Pete and I will go over that and a couple other things on this weekend's bonus episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 for patrons. So thank you very much to all of our patrons and thank you to everyone who's listening. Whether you're a contributor or not, you make this show possible and we love you. So thank you very much. And also same with the patrons of Clean Up on Aisle 45 and uh, the Jack podcast as well. You guys are awesome. All right. We have a lot of news to get to today. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The Manhattan District Attorney on Tuesday sued Jim Jordan of Ohio in an extraordinary step intended to keep congressional Republicans from interfering in the office's criminal case against the former president. The 50-page lawsuit filed in federal court in the Southern District of New York accuses Jim Jordan of a brazen and unconstitutional attack on the prosecution of Donald Trump and a, quote, transparent campaign to intimidate and attack the District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Bragg last week unveiled 34 felony charges against Donald that stem from the former president's attempts to cover up, you know, hush money payments, the doorman, 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 and Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels. That's all during the 2016 presidential campaign. So again, everybody who's like, can't believe the Manhattan DA went before the DOJ. Manhattan DA is working on a seven-year-old crime, whereas the Department of Justice is working on a two-year-old crime. All right. Lawyers for Mr. Bragg are seeking to bar Mr. Jordan and his congressional allies from enforcing a subpoena to Mark Pomerantz, who was once a leader of the DA's office in the Trump investigations and who later wrote a book about the experience. Pomerantz resigned early last year after Bragg, just weeks into his first term in office, decided not to seek an indictment of Trump at that time. Bragg's lawyers, including Theodore Boutros Jr. of the law firm Gibson Dunn and Leslie Dubeck, the general counsel of the district attorney's office, She's the one who wrote all those letters to Jim Jordan, also intend to prevent any other such future subpoenas. According to the lawsuit, Jordan has left open the possibility of subpoenaing Bragg himself. Quote, rather than allowing the criminal process to proceed in the ordinary course, meaning, and and Bragg talks about this in his filing, like there are remedies if you've been indicted. This isn't one of them. Chairman Jordan and the committee are participating in a campaign of intimidation, retaliation and obstruction. That's what the lawsuit says, adding the DA's office has received more than a thousand calls and emails from Trump supporters, many of them threatening and racially charged since the president predicted his own arrest incorrectly last month. Jordan responded in a statement on Twitter saying, first, they indict a president for no crime. Then they sue to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about federal funds they say they use to do it. And that is disingenuous because that's not in this lawsuit. They aren't trying to block an investigation into federal funds. First, there were there are no federal funds. There's a whole there's all articles from, you know, now until into perpetuity about how that's not the case. But this is about subpoenaing documents and prosecutors investigating Donald Trump. It's just absolute bullshit what Jim Jordan is tweeting. Not that I mean, it's not like uh, we're all like, oh, what? Jim Jordan is tweeting bullshit. On Tuesday afternoon, the judge in the case, it's been assigned to Mary K. Viscosal, I believe her name is pronounced. She declined to issue a temporary restraining order, a TRO, that had been proposed by Bragg's lawyers 
and that would have prohibited any enforcement of the subpoena sent to Pomerantz. Instead, she ordered Jordan's lawyers respond by April 17th and scheduled a hearing in the case for April 19th. That is the day Jordan's committee had set for Pomerantz's deposition. Pomerantz is also named as a defendant in the lawsuit. Bragg is also suing Pomerantz, though that appears to be a formality. By naming him, Bragg's lawyers are seeking to block Pomerantz from testifying if he was legally compelled to do so. Pomerantz has shown no indication he's willing to testify voluntarily, and he declined to comment on Tuesday. Pete Strzok and I are going to go over this filing in legal detail on next week's Cleanup on All 45. We're going to talk about the prayer for relief. We're going to talk about the two counts and, uh, and how these might apply, what the reasoning is behind this, the, the legislative uh, purpose or lack thereof, and sort of more of the, the, you know, the case law and the legal underpinnings of this lawsuit. So we look forward to that with Pete Strzok next Wednesday. And on April 8th, Kyle Cheney from Politico tweeted out that Proud Boys Zach Real and Joe Biggs filed a motion to dismiss the charges against the, the 1512 charges against them obstructing an official proceeding based on the appellate court in D.C. ruling on whether or not 1512C2 can be used. Remember, Judge Nichols, one out of, I think, 17 or 13 judges, the only one who had dismissed some charges saying that 1512C2 is vague and 1512C2 is based on 1512C1. It's not an expansion. It's restricted. It's limited by 1512C1, which requires a document or record to have. You have to destroy or something, a document or record in order to obstruct an official proceeding. And so, of course, Rail and Biggs, by the way, joined onto this lawsuit, have said, oh, well, we were charged with that. We want those charges dismissed because of a dissent in this ruling. Now, Kyle Cheney tweets, they claim that 1512C2 is vague and based on one of the appellate court judges dissenting on the ruling that the law is not vague. I responded saying, quote, the dissenting opinion on corrupt intent, the definition of corrupt intent, does not change the law. This ruling does not change the law. The appellate court ruled that the statute is not ambiguous. And that is what Rail and Biggs are saying. It's ambiguous. And the reason they're saying it's ambiguous is because one of the three judges dissented on the definition of corrupt intent. But corrupt intent wasn't even in question with these two. Today, the Department of Justice has filed an opposition to Rail and Biggs' motion to dismiss the 1512 charges, and the DOJ agrees with me. This is very exciting for me. It's a big day. Uh, by motion dated April 8th, 2023, Defendant Zachary Rail moved this court to dismiss the charges brought against him pursuant to Title 18 U.S. Code Section 1512. Joseph Biggs moved to join Rail's motion the next day, April 9th, 2023. I'm reading from the DOJ's opposition right now. They say Rail's fourth motion to dismiss, this is his fourth time trying to dismiss his charges, is premised on the recent decision in United States v. Fisher. Fisher is the name of the case that the appellate court ruled on. Fisher was one of the January 6th defendants that Nichols dismissed the charges on, saying that 1512c2 was ambiguous. So Rail's fourth motion to dismiss is premised on the recent decision in U.S. v. Fisher. Fisher's holding regarding the type of obstructive acts that may satisfy 1512c2 
does not resolve the scope of that statute's separate mens rea requirement. That's the corrupt intent requirement, specifically the meaning of the word corruptly, as it's used in 1512c. Again, Fisher's holding regarding the type of obstructive acts that may satisfy this law does not resolve the scope of the definition of the word corruptly as it's used. That issue is still pending before the D.C. Circuit in a different case, U.S. v. Robertson, which is scheduled to be argued on May 11th. Now, as I said, the dissenting opinion in Fisher about the definition of corruptly doesn't change this law. It hasn't been heard yet. That hasn't even been argued yet. And this court, this appellate court, in this case, the Fisher case, did not make a decision on the definition of corrupt intent. They go on to say, the DOJ, as explained in both the majority and dissenting opinions in Fisher, the definition of corruptly was not squarely presented in that case and therefore was not resolved. It's what I said, right? Defendants Biggs and Rail moved this court to take a position that because Judge Walker's narrow reading of corruptly was a necessary condition to his vote to join the lead opinion's holding, he should instead be construed to have joined the dissenting opinion. The court should decline to engage in any such absurd logic games. As explained above, and in the government's separate submission in response to the court's April 8th minute order, Judge Walker concurred in the judgment of the court, and in doing so, issued a non-binding concurring opinion regarding the definition of corruptly. Non-binding. We did not change the definition of corruptly. Lots of people were worried about this. Judge Walker's expressed preference for a specific definition of corruptly does not justify the absurd conclusion that he has somehow joined the dissent. Because Judge Walker concurred in the judgment of the D.C. Circuit, there has been no change in the law, and the court should deny the defendant's motion to dismiss. There has been no change in the law. That's what I said. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Beans come true. And we'll go over this in in a lot more detail when I talk to Andy and Pete on our respective shows next week. Also from the Associated Press, a federal judge wants to know if ex-president Donald Trump plans to attend the New York trial, E. Jean Carroll's trial. Judge Lewis Kaplan issued an order Monday directing parties in the case to notify him by 420, that's April 20th, whether they will be present throughout the trial, scheduled to start April 25th, five days later, in Manhattan Federal Court. And later in the day, he rejected a request that names of anonymous jurors be released to lawyers. Again, we went over this, saying Trump's latest public statements about a criminal case against him in state court showed jurors might be harassed if their identities got out. Pete and I talk about that on today's cleanup. Trump's lawyers did not respond Monday to requests for comment on Kaplan's order. Attorney Roberta Kaplan, no relation to Judge Kaplan, said Carroll intends to be present for the whole trial. In his order, the judge asked each party to notify him in writing whether he or she intends to attend the entire trial. If not, he asked to be told what dates and times each individual will be absent. The judge said the order was not to be construed to suggest whether either side is obliged to be present throughout the trial or what legal consequences could result from a decision not to be present the entire time. Instead, the judge was probably more interested in learning exactly when Trump might be in New York because of the security arrangements that would be required for Secret Service protected stuff. Who is also, you know, the former guy also running for office. It's security. It's for security. And from Shearer, the Washington Post. 
Democrats have awarded the 2024 presidential nominating convention to Chicago, opting for the largest city in the Midwest over Atlanta, according to a Democratic official briefed in the decision. The event will be held from August 19th through August 22nd at the United Center, an arena with a capacity of nearly 21,000 that's home to the Chicago Bulls basketball teams and the Blackhawks hockey team. The decision awarded a Democratic-dominated state where J.B. Pritzker had lobbied heavily for the event and promised to fundraise for its costs. The other finalists were Atlanta, like I said, the largest city in an increasingly blue state with a Republican-controlled state government, and New York City. Republicans have previously announced their nominating convention for July 15th through the 18th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was hoping for Atlanta, but some people brought up the fact that that could be smack dab in the middle of a Fonnie Willis trial with Donald Trump and security concerns. It would be a shit show. Now, I'm not saying I think Atlanta could handle it just fine. They've closed down the streets. There hasn't been any issues there so far. I don't expect there to be any issues there. But there would be a lot of media, at least, if that trial were happening at that time, which it might be. The last time we held a convention in Chicago was 1996. I was 22. And I have some beans, I want to bet. I have some beans burning a hole in my pocket. And this is Jack Smith stuff. So Andy and I will go over it in detail this weekend on the Jack podcast, but I want to go on record here with this story from Caldwell Wang and Goodwin at the Washington Post. Congressional leaders in the House and Senate have been given access to the classified documents recovered from the homes of Trump, Biden, and Pence. The classified documents were shared last week with the Gang of Eight. As we know, that's a bipartisan group of congressional leaders who typically receive briefings on classified intelligence. The documents were shared after months of pressure on the Biden administration from Dems and Republicans, Senator Mark Warner and Marco Rubio, who are the chairman and vice chairman of the Senate Intel Committee. Now, my friends over on Twitter, one of them, Secrets and Laws is the name of the account, posited that this may mean Jack Smith documents case might be wrapping up. He said, quote, the primary reason not to share the docs with Congress would be that either through leaks or secret back channels, information could be shared with the defense and or witnesses that would allow them to coordinate their stories, get their prep, their defense. Right. Marco Rubio hightails it down to Florida. Mr. Trump, here's what I saw. But he went on, if the investigations have concluded, that concern has lessened considerably. One, relevant witnesses will all have been brought to the grand jury. So their stories are locked in. We've locked in the testimony. Two, if Trump is charged, the docs will be turned over in a classified discovery almost immediately. Anyway, Marcy Wheeler also added that another benefit is that it may contribute to the legitimacy of whatever charging decisions are made. If Biden had old confidential emails and Trump had nuclear codes, then any discrepancy in treatment would make more sense. To which Secrets and Laws replied, I agree. And I almost added that to my thread. It could help preview how bad it is to leaders who, in theory, should be more responsible than others. But my guess is that Rubio will find something in the Biden docs that he'll claim is just as bad, even if it's not actually comparable. I added to the conversation that the briefing could also signal the DOJ has already decided on the Goldilocks docs. That means the documents that are sensitive, but not so sensitive they can't be used in court as evidence. And he replied he believed that they would show them all to Congress, but not say which ones were going to be used at trial. So just a few thoughts on the disposition of the documents case. I think they're ready to make a charging decision in this particular case. 
don't know whether he's going to hold all of his charging decisions until he's done with the January 6th investigation or other elements of the documents case, not just obstruction, but espionage in 2071, 611 and 400 and 1001, you know, all those potential crimes. But we'll know soon enough. You know, I've long said for almost two years now that April and May of 2023 is when we should or could expect indictments from the Department of Justice. I base that on the Watergate timeline, which is a far, far smaller case than January 6th. And I base it on the Mueller timing and how he began issuing indictments about six months after he was appointed special counsel. Because the FBI was investigating Trump-Russia 10 months before Mueller was appointed. And then six months into Mueller, 16 months after the investigation was open in total, Mueller began issuing indictments. The first ones were for Rick Gates and Paul Manafort. And we are right now, November, December, January, February, March, April, May is six months after the appointment of Jack Smith, who was investigating things that were being investigated for more than 10 months before he was appointed special counsel. So we are right in the middle of both of those timelines right now. Now, again, it's the biggest case in the history of the United States. It's bigger than Mueller. It's bigger than Watergate. So I've been saying April, May would be fast. And of course, that has to do with January 6th, not necessarily the uh, documents case, which the FBI and the Department of Justice has only had since May. It's not even been a year. And we know that timeline. I can do it off the top of my head. February of 2022 is when NARA, the National Archives, got the boxes, some of them back from Trump. NARA saw that there was some classified shit in there, and they said, we want to notify the DOJ, and Trump tried to block that and obfuscate it. But eventually, the FBI found out, the FBI is part of the DOJ, found out about it in May of 2022. That same month, May 11th, they issued a subpoena. The FBI, they the DOJ wanted to search Mar-a-Lago. The FBI said, no, 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 do a subpoena first. And so they did. They subpoenaed the documents. June 3rd, they all go down there, at least the ones with security clearance enough to touch these documents, went down there, and Trump handed over 38, I think, classified documents in a double-tape red-weld envelope, the way you you handle classified documents. So he clearly didn't think they were declassified, not at that time, at least. And then, that same month, three weeks later, June 24th, DOJ issued a subpoena for the surveillance tapes because they had developed evidence that those documents, some of them be moved after the subpoena and before the handoff. And they, 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 they suspected that there were still documents down there, but now they had evidence. So they, they subpoenaed those tapes in June, end of June. And then they saw the evidence, brought in Walt Nauta, who lied to him, and then came back in and told the truth. And then... A little over a month later, they went and they got a search warrant. That was August, beginning of August. Then, of course, Trump sued special master Eileen Cannon. That lasted from September to November. And then Jack Smith was appointed. And in November, he subpoenaed more than two dozen people. Then we know Corcoran came in in late January, probably, the next month. Maybe, maybe, Maybe eight weeks later. And invoked attorney-client privilege. And then in February, 
Jack Smith went to the judge, Chief Judge Beryl Howell, and said, crime fraud exception. There's no attorney-client privilege when there were crimes being committed, and we have evidence, substantial evidence, that there were crimes. And so the judge ruled that, and then Corcoran went back in and handed over his notes and everything. That was just this past month, March, right? And here we are in April, and uh, I assume they got Corcoran the rest of his testimony. I'm not sure. We don't know. It's all under seal. But that went relatively quickly. Hillary Clinton was also under investigation for her quote-unquote mishandling of classified documents for a year. So now they found that, first of all, none of the emails were marked classified. Second of all, there were about three of them. And third, they found that she was just reckless, not criminally. So anyway, the timing is all very interesting. And I just wanted to put my beans on that. I think the documents case is close to a charging decision. But again, will he hold them all? and let them all go at once? Or will he drop these cases and drop these charges, not drop the charges, but issue the indictments as he has them, as the cases are ready to go? We'll find out. All right, everybody, we have a lot of good news. If you have any good news to submit, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We'll be right back with it. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt with me, I'm getting real good at it. Especially if you don't tell me what breeds are in it and I can just say, I can just decide. I'm the decider. That would be, that's fun. That's my favorite kind of game to play. Also, uh, if you have a shout out to a loved one or an adoptable pet in your area, if you don't have pod pet pics to share for tax or frog orgies or baby photos or your animals in costumes, I love those. Uh, the tape square on the floor, cat challenge or dog challenge or child challenge or you challenge, whatever you want to send. You can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Sue, pronouns, oh, this kitty, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Allison, I heard you say you were from Talmadge, Ohio. I grew up just a stone's throw away in Caga Falls, Ohio. And now I am now Burkano, living in Dana's hometown. Oh, is that how you say it? A Burkano? A Burkino? living in Dana's hometown of Albuquerque. Love your podcast. I feel like my day doesn't start until I hear the beans. Uh, For pet tax, I have a picture of my tabby calico Ruby snoozing on the window ledge. I'm always afraid she's going to fall off. And Pearl taking up the entire recliner. They are my gems. Sue, you, yeah. So now you have something in common with Dana. You're now in the 505. You have something in common with me, Stone's Throw from Talmadge, Ohio, Talmadge Circle. That's where I met the Budweiser Clydesdales for the first time, by the way. 1977, I believe. And then I fell in love with horses. Oh, these kitties. The calico tabby is beautiful, beautiful markings. And (laughs) this cat makes the recliner look tiny. It was a big cat. Thank you so much for that submission. All right, next up from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. Thanks for the show and fighting the good fight. I just wanted to give a special shout out to our Democratic County Judge, K.P. George for doing a great job keeping us safe in our little little corner of Southeast Texas during the pandemic, despite interference from Austin. We had good vacation rates, kept our case numbers down, and Judge George reopened our county cautiously and prudently. 
I work for the county library uh, as an interlibrary loan librarian. And we offered service via curbside and eventually opened the building in increments to the public. We turned Fort Bend County blue in 2018, winning the judge's office, two county commissioner seats, and the DA's office. Fuck yes. Judge George managed to win re-election, and despite running on fear-mongering over crime, the local GOP didn't even put up a candidate to challenge our progressive DA. Fort Bend County voted for Hillary in 2016 and for Biden in 2020. Texas as a whole is still a shit show, but there are Democratic enclaves like where I live. Just grateful for Democratic local government because I feel it keeps the library system safe, absolutely. And secure, at least for now. While the rural parts of Fort Bend County are still Trump country, the fastest growing populations are the youth in the younger cities. Like Sugarland is full of young professionals in very multi-ethnic neighborhoods to serve as a counterweight to the rural white conservatives and country club Republicans. We are also victims of intense gerrymandering, and Texas would be far more purple without it. Every major Texas metro area voted for Joe Biden. I'm unable to leave Texas because I'm an only child and the sole caregiver of my elderly mother, who's 86, so I stay here to help fight the good fight. My mom is just appalled and disgusted by Trump and the GOP, just as much as I am. P.S. For my pet tax, let me include a picture of our COVID kittens, now all grown up, Casper, white and gray, Coco, the calico. Their brother and sister from the same litter, they provided us with company and whimsical entertainment during the darkest days of the pandemic. Look at the babies. Uh, Casper, the white and gray boy, and the calico. These are, I love brother, sister kitties. They're so snuggly. All right, next up from Megan, long E, pronoun she and her. Hello, Leguminati and Beans Queens. I have a short mashup of news. I couldn't think of a better place to share first. Thank you for making me laugh, cry, swear, and most of all, giving me hope with each episode. Longtime follower on the Hellscape on Steroids, also known as Elon's Tantrum Buy, and happily now supporting this amazing effort. Here's my first bit of good news. I'm less than one quarter away from having a daughter graduating with honors in psychology with two minors that escape me and a focus on social-emotional learning, the target du jour from very small people. I couldn't be more proud. She is every last good part of her dad and I and gives me hope for the future. Kick ass and never apologize for being an epic human to everyone, kiddo. Second bit of good news I needed to share a local animal sanctuary that not only gives amazing life and care for all the mostly traumatized, abused animals they take in, they also allow them to heal with therapy through interactions with people who've also been through traumatic experiences and are seeking care. They're in need of donations for continued veterinary care and have several great options to donate online, including receiving stickers and updates from the animals and their caretakers. I discovered them during their community event last year, which also fell on the second anniversary of my mom's passing. We do indeed heal one another, and their website is oneheartwild.org. Lastly, I'll bestow upon you a photo of my good old girl, Finn. She's moving more slowly these days. She's nearing 14 years old, but we like to say doing her best. Was going to send a Whoopi photo of my uh, kiddo's JB, but she must have snuck him off to college with her. <laughs> you went looking for the Whoopi and they took the, they took her, they took the Whoopi to college. That's amazing. Some things never change and I'm glad. Uh, also included one of myself and my kiddo. Never stop using your voice for change and to amplify those of others who are so inspiring. Cheers from the Pacific Northwest. I'll save the fun names to pronounce for when DG is back. Oh, look at this baby pup. What a sweetheart. Doing her best. <laughs> She's adorable. Oh, 
Beautiful family. Wow. Those blue eyes. Holy majoli. Killer. Thank you so much for the submission. Really appreciate that. Love the mashup of good news. Next up from uh, Carrie or Kari. I think Carrie, pronoun she and her. Hello to you, Beans Queens. My Beans Queens. I'm so thankful for Muller. She wrote on Twitter as well as the Daily Beans podcast. It helped me survive living in Ohio. <laughs> I'm happy to say we've now moved back to MN and I'm happily living in Ilhan Omar's district. Audible sigh of relief. I want to shout out our local biz here in St. Louis Park, Parkway Pizza. Sarah and all her peeps take good care of the neighborhood, and it's a fantastic Minneapolis-style pizza. Mm, I love Minneapolis-style pizza. I also want to share a pic of my rescued DD, short for PTSDD. She's a work in progress. She came from a horrible breeding situation in Kentucky, a foster to us. She doesn't have any front teeth, as they were worn away from trying to chew out of her crate. And she's still very timid around everybody and everything, but we love her fluffy goodness. And every now and then she lets her fun spirit loose and she wiggles around the house. It makes me want to cry with happiness when I see her true spirit. I love her more than words. And my sons would say um, more than them, but it's technically a lie. (laughs) Thanks to you for all your hard work and for the joy of swearing and news. I love your work and thank you from the bottom of my heart. (gasps) Oh, goodness, fluffer. Oh, I hate people who abuse animals. It's like I seriously have a physical pain in my heart when I think about that. But what a beautiful dog. I'm so glad that um, you rescued this pup. Thank you for that submission. Next up from Bunny, pronoun she and they. Some of us, due to our health or basic life obligations, may be limited in what we can do beyond voting. But I want to encourage your listeners to use whatever healthy, creative outlet they can to express emotions about current political ongoings. I plan to write more. What are other people doing to handle these emotions in healthy ways? Like, dare I say, grownups? I hope everyone has some kind of healthy outlet as politics continue to be a bit overwhelming. And that's a great idea, Bunny. Everybody send in what you're doing to handle these emotions in a healthy way. I would love to hear about this. What is, what is your way? I watch really old sitcoms. <laughs> and I hang out with my, my kittens and my best friend. So I would love to hear from you what you're doing and your creative outlets. Bunny goes on to say, for pet tax, I offer my two cats who prefer clothing to tape squares. I've known other cats who want to sit, lay, or sleep on clothing. Maybe maybe they are box cats, clothing cats, and nonconformist cats. Maybe there's all three. Look at this beautiful ginger tabby. Oh, is that a boy? So very cute. And then the void. Yeah, cats love, especially warm laundry. Also, I wrote a poem to express my frustration with the Tennessee house. And along the left side, I want everyone to see it says Justin Jones. So every line begins with a letter in his name. Justice does not reside under a fallen house. Still passionate advocacy echoes from the lips of a man, a decade my junior. Tennessee's house set horrific precedent in a country abandoning human rights. Nothing about this is okay. Just as I write from an aching heart on a day democracy doubles over, no person can afford to lay down their voice every time someone's lust for power overtakes their humanity. Mm, Very well said and very well written. Thank you so much, Bunny. And thanks to everybody for your submissions and your pet tax and everything. Um, I really appreciate it. I will be back in your ears tomorrow. I will talk about the probable reinstatement 
of um, Representative Justin Pearson. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say because he is one hell of a speaker. Um, So until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.